Hey, hi, hello. Welcome to episode 38 of Trail Society, brought to you by our friends over at Free Trail. I'm Corinne Malcolm. I'm Keely Henninger. And I'm Hilary Allen. And we are all together. We're kind of in between the holidays. Holidays can be hard either with your family or away from your family. We had family come to us here in Seattle in the midst of an ice storm, which definitely spiced things up to factor 12, I'm sure. But wondering how both your holidays were wherever you might have been. Uh, no, I, nope. Go, go for, for it. it. Talk. <laughs> Uh, Keely, you'll go second, because you have some cool, cool way to spend the holiday. Um, no, mine was good. I was just in Colorado. We got, it was pretty cold. And then it was like, we actually had a white Christmas, which is weird. Um, <laughs> and yeah, it was great. Just home in Colorado and, you know, live close to, my parents live close to Boulder. So it was great just staying here, some family time, a little bit of running, a little bit of skiing. Yeah, nice. it was awesome. Traveling during the holiday sounds just incredibly stressful. Keely, were you home? Were you back in Portland by Christmas? I was, yeah. I got back on Christmas Eve. But yeah, I traveled down into Southern California like a week or so before Christmas by car. So I didn't have to deal with all of the airplane snafus. Um, But yeah, I just road trip down to visit some family and friends that live down there. Um, and then, yeah, made our way back up in time for Christmas in Portland and got to hear about all of my family's travel stuff. It was getting back to the East Coast. They were delayed by like days and days <laughs> and reiterated why I didn't decide to go home this year and stayed on the West Coast. And it was absolutely lovely. Um, Southern California in December is a breath of fresh air. They were complaining about it being cold, um, but it was 67 degrees and <laughs> I was loving it. I was running into sports for all, like it's been 30s in Portland. So I was a great, it was a great little trip. Yeah. And you just casually set an FKT or a fastest known time while you were down there. Can you tell us a little bit, bit about it? Yeah, sure. Um, well, as I was planning my trip down, my friend, Rachel, Rachel Drake, um, actually has the unsupported FKT at Joshua tree was like, why don't you run the Josh tree F- FKT while you're down there? And I was like, Oh, that's a decent idea. Um, I had been trying to think of, you know, a race or something to do before black Canyon. Um, that was similar vibe and Joshua tree is a very deserty FKT. It's 38 mile traverse of the park. Um, and the time is held by, was held by a very stout female, Claire Gallagher, who ran it as prep for her Western States in 2019, um, in a very hot, um, time of day. And so it seemed like a fun FKT to go after a little challenge to do while I was down there. Um, and it was awesome. Um, I very last minute decided to do it because going into the FKT, I had this cough that is now manifested into something way worse than a cough, um, that I didn't know if I should do it. Um, but the day before me and my friend Heidi decided to trek over there and just, you know, give it a go. And basically my, my mindset was like, okay, maybe I'll just run 15 miles or maybe I'll run 20, maybe I'll run 30 and maybe I'll run the whole thing. Um, and yeah, uh, it was a good test of resilience because I last minute put together a crew of Heidi and this other girl that randomly reached out and said she'd help. She was lovely named Ray. Um, they were going to meet me at mile 20. Um, Heidi who had all my water was not at mile 20 and Ray was there, but she had like a 10 ounce water bottle with her. Um, and so I took about half of her water and ran with her for like three miles, but unfortunately she'd been coming off a sickness. So she dropped back. Um, so then I ran to mile 30 where Heidi was supposed to be and she wasn't there either. So I like, you know, called her three times, was like looking around, couldn't find her. 
um, was basically debating if I should turn in the towel, throw in the towel or keep going because I still had eight miles in the desert and I don't, you know, I didn't have any water. I packed for 20 miles. Um, but then I found this lady who directed me to like these jugs of water that they put out for fruit through, through hikers and was like, here, I'll fill Mm -hmm. one of your bottles with this. So I got, you know, like 16 more ounces of water and knew I had one sleeve of Gucci's. I'd been, you know, really saving just in case this happened in the back (laughs) of my pack. Um, and just set out. Cause you know, at that point it's, they're pretty fast miles. So it was less than an hour left. Um, so I figured I could get to the finish, but you know, going through the finish, uh, I still was thinking like, Oh, maybe I'll have to hitchhike home. Like, I don't know where my crew is. There's no service there, but you know, the only goal of the day was to like run true to myself and have fun. And I'd say like, I 100% accomplished that. I think by going in with no pressure and then continuing to have no pressure on myself when things went wrong, made it a lot more easy to keep going. Because if I would have expended like a lot of extra energy on the stress around not finding my crew, I think I would have been kind of a goner out there. But I think because I was conserving energy, staying really positive and just running true to myself and not pushing too hard. Um, you I were was like Instagramming while you went along. Like the videos were kind of hilarious. You're like, no crew, <laughs> just gonna keep running. <laughs> so I think, man, like just to, like talking about like practicing resiliency and practicing not getting flustered because it is so easy to get flustered in a situation like that being like well my crew's not here that happened to me during the tahoe rim trail fkt where we got to mile 40 and my crew was not there yet and i could have thrown a hissy fit mm-hmm. but it was like well there's nothing i can do like i'm just gonna start like getting ready for them to be here like i'm gonna yeah. take my shoes and socks off i'm gonna do these things so yeah kudos to you for not just falling apart because that would be a natural inclination for many iterations of us. Yeah. And I think like in the past, perhaps I would have, but I think, you know, it's something I've learned from hundred miles trying, trying to run hundred mile races is that there's no, there's no time for that extra stress because like the whole act of it is stressful to begin with. And so trying to control every little thing you you can't apparently, you know, and I think Western States reminded me of that this year that like, there's always an element of stuff that's out of your control. And so Mm -hmm. I think finally I'm getting a little better at adapting to those, those uncontrollables as seen by the Joshua tree of KT. <laughs> well, kudos, kudos to you. I know that you're getting over a little bit of illness now, but I'll be back at running in no time. And hopefully that was a big confidence booster for, for black Canyon in February. Totally. Yeah. Okay. So <laughs> it's kind of a, we're doing kind of a short news, short race recap, no race recap, but we got some stuff to talk about. But first we have to give a, Shout out to one of our sponsors who makes this whole thing possible. Those are the fine folks over at Athletic Greens. They make it super easy um, for you if you want to try Athletic Greens by going over there. You can get actually a free one year supply of immune supporting vitamin D and five free travel packs with your purchase. Um, we've been using it all year. We're going to be using them all through 2023 as well. It's a nice way to get something like 75 easily um, absorbable vitamins and minerals into your morning routine, including probiotics, all that kind of stuff that I used to have, like, I don't know, 12 little canisters of things floating around my kitchen. So very, very convenient, um, to, to make a purchase, you're going to go over to athleticgreens.com slash trail society. Again, that's athleticgreens.com slash trail society. By doing so you help support us here on the podcast. And not only does your first purchase help us, but every returning purchase you make also helps us as well. So again, Use that link, athleticgreens.com slash trail society and get your free one-year supply of immune supporting vitamin D and five free travel packs today. We did it again. (laughs) 
news. I said it was kind of a short news, short race time of year, just kind of a little bit, it's a slower time of year from, for, for many folks, but I wanted to give a shout out. I texted Keely and Hillary about this, um, because I think there aren't very many women in the podcasting space in particular, the, like the trail and endurance podcasting space. And so Kat Bradley, a insanely good runner, um, launched a podcast this year called the B rad podcast. Want to shine a little light on that. I know Hillary, you've actually been on the podcast with her. So you should go look, listen to that one too. Mm -hmm. But the one I wanted to highlight was I listened to her conversation with professional marathon athlete, Allie Kiefer. And I just thought it was a really interesting discussion. Hillary, you said you listened to it as well. Was there anything that kind of stood out to you in it? Well, I think Allie has a really interesting story. Um, I, I personally have, have followed her for a long time. And so like when I saw, I know Kat's been interviewing a lot of like big names, which has been really, really cool. Um, I think to generate a lot of momentum with her, with her new podcast. Um, but like when I saw that she, her interview with Ali was out there, it was something that I was instantly drawn to because Ali has been a really positive influence, I think for, for me in particular, but a lot of women in this narrative that you know, uh, body image and and body size doesn't necessarily indicate a marathon time. Um, and I think just the, the conversation goes like kind of deeper into this, um, into this topic, but almost kind of like discussing a double standard that, um, there is with women specifically in marketing, like they, this expectation that women not only have to be talented, but they also have to be cute or look a certain way. Um, and yeah, I think it's, she's kind of defined success in her own marathon career by like fantastic results, but also like really kind of holding up a microphone to this narrative. And I think it was a really interesting interview and an important one at that. Yeah. I mean, Kat talked about like Solomon being like, Hey, you have to wear makeup to these photo shoots type of thing, or which like you would never do to a guy or even like, what, what do your relationships look like with sponsors? Like, what is a good relationship look like? What is, what relationships that weren't good. What did those look like for these women? Um, also she talks about why she ultimately left, um, her former coach, Brad Hudson. And it was like kind of wild that it was mostly based on like rumors and speculation that made her really uncomfortable, um, Mm -hmm. which like just changed the dynamic of their relationship. Like they were very close. She was Brad's only athlete. There's all the speculation that they were dating or sleeping together. And that made her really uncomfortable, like Mm -hmm. being in public together. And so I just like, it's very interesting. These things that you know, I don't think you see a lot one with like female coaches necessarily, but also with like male athletes being, being put in that position or having that speculation thrown around. So it was just, it was a very interesting conversation. And, uh, if you haven't checked out Kat's podcast project yet, go give it a listen. Um, there's doing, she's doing some good stuff mm-hmm. over there. Um, it's a late, it's, as I say, it's a light race week weeks will be plural here mm-hmm. as well. This will come out right before Bandera, which is the next golden ticket race on us soil. Um, it'll be followed in February by black Canyon in the States and Tarawera, another golden ticket race again this year, Tarawera, yep. uh, down in New Zealand. Um, so we'll be catching you all up on what happened at Bandera the next time we chat along with like cool sponsorship stuff, because tis the season for <laughs> people to leave sponsors formally and introduce new sponsors into their lineup. So there'll be lots of stuff to catch up on, but in that lull, we all kind of picked out some things that we saw on social media over the past you know, week or so that really stood out to us. And, mm-hmm. and the one that stood out to me, um, which I think we can all probably talk to a little bit was Katie Scheid's Instagram post. I'm just going to read um, the first little bit of it here. It says more is not more. I love numbers. I love statistics and graphs and data. 
I used to believe that more hours training meant I'd be a better athlete. But if I simply had the biggest weekly totals, I'd be the strongest runner on the start line. Not quite so simple, young Katie. With my yearly Strava data rolling in, I took note that in 2022, my most successful year of racing to date, I trained fewer hours than in the previous three years. I rested more. I took more easy days, making sure that I was act- that I actually wanted to train big and push hard. I felt good enough to do it right. I prioritized running over other sports. Well, except for schemo in the winter, which admittedly resulted in the most distance I've ever run, but brought down those coveted in quotes, total training hours I used to hold so dearly. And I just, I really liked that. I appreciate, I think that's a message that I know I needed to hear right now. Um, and I'm wondering, you know, uh, Keely, you've gone full-time, full-time pro this year. I'm kind of going all in on yourself and on your running as you took a step back from your, your former career. And I'm just wondering, you know, how did that resonate with you? Yeah. I mean, this resonated a lot with me, especially her last sentence that basically said a lot of you would be surprised at how unexciting my training Mm -hmm. really is. Sorry, Jason Coop. (laughs) Um, but it's just steady, consistent work that keeps on building. Some days it's easy. Some days it's hard and almost every day I love it. And I can't second that enough because I'd say to Katie's previous point, when I was, you know, balancing a full-time job and a, a bunch of other things and training, I was definitely striving for the biggest numbers I could get, whether that was mileage, hours, cross training, or all of the above, right? It's just like, how much can I do? How much can I pack into a day? And as I've gone more full time, I have more time, but it's not being filled with extra training. I'm definitely training less than I was in the past, but it's a lot more purposeful to Katie's point where it's like a lot more running focus because that's what I'm training for and not as much junk miles. And a lot of the runs have really, really strict purposes. And like that in itself is really nice. And I'd say having those extra rest days allow me to actually almost every day love it, right? Because before it was like, I feel like I loved it 10% of the time. That's not a very good ratio, but it's because my body was torched. Like you don't have the capacity to feel excited about it because you don't have any energy. And so I feel like going full time, like you don't increase mileage a ton, but you do increase the amount of time you get to rest and you can be more strategic or learn to be more strategic about your training, which tied into Abby Hall's post. So you, you had like shared this, like, I think earlier today, Mm -hmm. even, um, very similar, like also Mm -hmm. quit her job about a year ago to kind of go all in on training. And she said that she's going to be within like 45 minutes Mm-hmm. of the total training time she put in yeah. last year, which I think is pretty really comical. Cool. Like that's so that's, that's wildly similar years. But once again, like her quality of racing took a big step up this year and it's mm-hmm. not, it wasn't the training that needed to be changed. It was like the, everything that goes into training. Yeah, totally. Cause training is oh. really just your body's ability to adapt to the training. And if you're never having time to rest and let your body adapt, then the training is useless. Yeah. Right. I think it's that, but I also just think it's like this point of like what Katie said too, like consistent work over time. This doesn't happen overnight. Like Abby had, she just didn't start running. Neither did Katie. Like they've been doing this for, you know, for for years. And I think it's it's that, yeah, sure. Now they have a lot more time to devote to like the, I like to think the auxiliary things that help out with, with training and recovery, which um, I think it can be this big trap that people fall into, like, oh, I need to quit my job and just go all in on running and like train 50 hours a week. Like, absolutely not. I think that that's Seriously. like not, that is not exactly, that's not what you need to do. But it's the, it's, yes, it's, it's like their training hasn't changed that much with numbers, but like they 
have been putting in this consistent work, this not so sexy type of training or complicated, right? But it's just the consistent work over time. And um, yeah, I think it's, I think it's a really good message to put out there. And then I think the other really interesting uh, social media thing that we saw that was really important this week was uh, Hillary, you brought it to our attention. I actually hadn't seen it. I had missed it entirely. Um, from the young Spanish athlete, Sarah Alonzo. And I'm wondering if you can kind of maybe read that first part of her post and then maybe maybe summarize kind of the back part of it. Yeah. And so I've been following Sarah for a long time. Um, She has had an incredible year, a couple of years with Solomon, actually, um, at this Golden Trail series. Um, So basically she's a shorter distance runner, um, trail runner, um, an absolute beast on the downhills. Um, But basically what, what was really cool about this post is it's kind of cut, we're continuing to call attention to this narrative around periods and fueling. Um, and so this is roughly translated. She's um, uh, Spanish. So basically the first, I'll just read the first part of her post. Said, years ago, I started running and until now I have never been injured. And she posted basically a picture with her and a helmet. And she says, today has come during these years, I've lost my period, the most important years of my life, 18 years through 22, um, where you can re- reach peak bone mass. And one year ago, I studied stress fractures and saw how relevant bone density was. She studied this in schools. Um, and she said she tried her best to add uh, her, she tried to prevent it as best she could. And this year she gained a few pounds and got her period back. But the process of regaining bone mass is slow and not entirely reversible. Plus, she's aware of the many miles that she's done over the last few years and this season um, and not reaching her maximum bone density and all the miles over the years. It's resulted in this. And this was her. Um, basically, she found a stress uh, fracture in her um, pubis, kind of the same um, area, Corinne, that you had yours. Um, but, um, yeah, I think it was really brave of her to um, to post about this. And I kind of have some a lot of self-awareness that, OK, well, maybe this is kind of related um to her history with not having a period and and training a lot and um yeah Probably not eat, being able to eat enough to to meet those and, training demands right as yep. like a young mm-hmm. active individual Growing, it's, yeah. it's not even intentional right it's just like you're training mm-hmm. a lot it's hard to actually get in adequate nutrition well and that like i think a lot of people are just unaware of how much it takes you know um so yeah i thought that that was awesome that she posted about that publicly and had, like I said, so much self-awareness around that this could be like the cause. Right. Um, and it seemed like there was an overall optimism to, you know, like her recuperating on the bike, um, and, you know, seeing where things kind of get go when she's back to running. But I think this is going to continue to be, it's almost like these injuries can be like a wake up call in many ways, but it seems like this might be it for, for her, but also for maybe any other female athletes are kind of experiencing the same thing. Yeah. And I think it's really cool that by 22 or 23, I guess, after studying stress fractures, she realized that losing your period, you know, is detrimental because I think like I maybe knew it in the back of my head, but you know, for a long time, I thought it was like a badge of honor almost to like not have it. Cause you're like, well, I'm training hard enough. Like this is legit. And like, I'm glad that this kind of story comes, continues to come out and starts to hopefully change the narrative for even younger athletes and younger athletes. So that eventually this isn't a narrative at all, right? Like they don't even have to have lost a period for the 18 to 22 years of their life. They just, they don't lose it ever. <laughs> that would yeah. be, that would be my dream. Yeah, definitely a dream scenario there. And I think we're getting there just by like changing, changing the fear of talking about periods, making it really acceptable, making it 
making like having that presence because I think a lot of people for the longest time didn't want to talk about it yeah. um that it seemed like a very taboo topic and so totally. you know I I think we were all just like very impressed that Sarah was like yeah this is mm-hmm. my like my bad like yeah. I'm gonna have to like earn my body's respect back essentially and totally. I think there's there's a couple of things too that I want to say with it like she's she's right it doesn't it's not instant like these these kinds of things take a couple of years um to you know to kind of to, it is reversible, but it takes a couple of years for it to kind of happen, right? You think there's things like every seven years, like your your bone kind of like the osteoclast and osteoblast kind of like remodel your bones. So it's like there is reversibility to it, but it takes several years. But this is also like something that's not, yeah, I think it can be like almost sped up or accelerated in athletes, but this is also something that happens like if people, if women aren't like like necessarily athletes, like I'm using just my, my mother as an example, but she was in the Peace Corps in Nepal, um, in like in her late twenties. Um, and she lost her period just because of like kind of a poor diet. She was in the, like, just in not, she didn't really have good access to, um, to just a lot of like density of foods, like not a lot of meat. And she wasn't, she wasn't running. She wasn't like, she was just living her life. Like she's an active person, like hiking, not like training as a professional athlete, but she lost her period for two years. And then coming back, she is osteopedic. And she's been able to reverse it, but it's taken years, like with like strength training and stuff. But this has been, you know, something that can happen to women, even if they're not training at an intense and professional level. So I think this can be a good reminder for, um, you know, people out there, the moms, hopefully that listen to this, um, you know, of feeling is important, even if you're particularly if you're in kind of those important years of your life training, not training. Yeah. Yeah. hundred percent. Keely, anything you want to add to that? No, you're golden. But yeah, so we'll kind of keep an eye on on Sarah through recovery and hopefully those those stress fractures that are in your pelvis and sacrum and like hips, like upper leg bones in general can be kind of a tricky, tricky thing to skirt um, just because you need a lot of stability there. So hopefully it is smooth sailing for her. Actually, you know what I just thought of is that this ties in so nicely with our interview with Lee that we're about to show the audience because um, I feel like in that interview, we discussed how females still have so much untapped potential Mm -hmm. and like thinking about this, where, you know, if a lot of women are under the assumption that to be their best, they have to lose their cycle. Or if they just think it's commonplace, like think about how that potential will increase if we start changing that narrative at a younger and younger age. And these women are allowed to go through puberty and allow their body development to develop in a natural way. Like the ceiling is so high. Yeah. Well, before we dive into Lee's interview, we have to give another one more shout out. Another, another sponsor that's really important to take note of for us is the feed. You all have been doing an exceptionally good job of heading over to the feed.com slash trail society and ordering all sorts of things. I had a waffle this morning before my run. If you would like to order waffles or collagen or recovery drink or whatever, whatever is, you know, your fancy coffee. Keely's been a coffee fiend. I feel like ordering stuff from them. You can go over to thefeed.com slash trail society. And there you get $15 in free credit to use in the store. So you all have been crushing it on the feed front. Thank you. Thank you. Thank you. And anyone have anything else to add? No. Golden. I was going to say, if you forgot Christmas gifts, you <gasps> could 
You know, you go over there and you get $15 worth of free stuff and then you could send them a nice ultra running trail running gift box. So that's (laughs) actually incredibly thoughtful. Those belated (laughs) Christmas gifts, they happen. I've got two that I still have to mail. So I'm doing great. (laughs) Um, going to be just in the, they'll get there before the next holiday. It'll be okay. Mm -hmm. Um, but so what we're going to dive into next is an interview, um, with this athlete, this runner, this amazing human Lee, um, New Zealand based individual. I think we were all floored by the interview. Um, we didn't want it to stop. We actually went over time. It's, it's long, but it's really, really good. You all. So Lee there, um, they work with trans youth, um, they identify as transmasculine. They use they, them pronouns. We learned so much from Lee. Their work in New Zealand has predominantly been focused around groups and like advocacy programs that look to affirm and empower trans youth. And they've led by example, working in mentorship programs in this space. Such a wealth of knowledge. So incredibly cool. Um, we based part of our conversation off of the article they wrote for Children Magazine. Um, I think that came out last year. We'll link that in the show notes. I think without further ado, here's our interview with Lee. Kia ora, um, I'm Lee, um, Graberic. I use they and them pronouns. Um, I identify as a transmasculine person. Um, I'm an avid runner. Um, I've been running since I was about 13. Um, and yeah, at the moment I'm living in New Zealand, not at the moment, quite permanently living in New Zealand. Um, but I'm originally from Connecticut. Um, but yeah, I've been in New Zealand for about, um, like eight or nine years now. Um, but yeah, I'm super stoked to be able to talk to you all. Oh my gosh. We're so excited to have you. Um, you kind of talked to this already, but you grew up stateside and now you consider New Zealand to be home. So when did you make that jump over to New Zealand and how has it been living there versus in the States? Yeah. Um, so um, I made the jump over um, when I was quite young. I moved over there when I was like 19 or 20. Um, I, my partner's a Kiwi. Um, we met working at a summer camp, which is kind of romantic and cute. Um, <laughs> and yeah, I thought it was just going to kind of be like, I don't know, see what happens. Might be fun. Um, took a little bit of time off of uni because I was like having an existential crisis anyways. Um and lo and behold, nine years later, I'm still there. I'm still with my partner and I definitely consider it to be my home. Um, second home, other home. I don't know which words you want to use, but um, yeah, whenever I come back to the U.S., um, I think the big thing that always just really like blows my mind about the U.S. and I always forget is just how big everything is. Like I just like cars are bigger, houses are bigger, like I've, I don't know what it means to like be an adult really, aside from like four years of, I did my undergrad in the U S but like, I don't, I mean, so that's in a bubble and I didn't really know what like being an adult was. And it's just, I just can't get my head around, like, like finding, how do you find friends in America? It's so big. And how to like, do like, how do you like find jobs? Cause it's just infinite. And, um, yeah, I just really overwhelming, but little old New Zealand, there's about 5 million of us. Um, it's pretty much the same population of Connecticut, but like we're bigger than California. <laughs> um, so we're really spread out, but, um, yeah, I just really appreciate how small New Zealand is and just the, just being able to, to connect with people a little bit easier. We say in New Zealand that it's like two degrees of separation. So like everyone knows everybody, um, which is quite reassuring. 
it's definitely hard to make friends in the United States. Like it's, it's huge. And so there's a lot of people doing their own thing. Um, patience is the key. Um, but you talk about the small community. Um, how do you find the running community in, in New Zealand? Yeah. Um, I think it's pretty awesome. Like, I feel like I really hit my stride, like in terms of like my running consistency and like finding community in New Zealand. And I think, I mean, I think the big thing was that, yes, it's smaller. So it's that we have, there's quite a lot of like groups online of just like sharing like advice about trails. Um, Like everyone like kind of does the same thing almost like we all like run in the same places. Like I live in Auckland or Tamaki Makoto and we all like have like the same places we go to. So it's not abnormal to like go for a run on the weekend and run into like four people that, you know, (laughs) Um, like that's just kind of typical. But I think the, the other part of that is like, I can't kind of came more into like my trans and queer identity when I was in New Zealand. Um, and I think that confidence boost helped me to kind of connect with people a little bit more. Um, so yeah, there's that as well. And I live a little bit more, um, urban. I grew up in quite a small town in Connecticut, so I didn't really have access to like running groups or like any of that kind of stuff. Um, and then like at, in college, I just ran by myself because I was just like a nerd. Um, and all I did was study. So yeah, I think it's just like great timing, but also New Zealand is just so conducive to it. I mean, it the trails are infinite in New Zealand. And um, I think everyone's just kind of willing to like lend a hand or like share advice and just help each other out. The one time I've been in New Zealand, I definitely felt that sense of community as well, even though I was only there for two weeks. Um, it's definitely an awesome, very unique place. Yeah. Yeah. I was like, I was like this very vivid memory. I tried to see how fast I could run up Roy's Peak in Wanaka. Mm-hmm. And um, this was a couple summers ago. And um, there was like, I passed by at least six groups of people who were all cheering me on, like, mm-hmm. like as if I was like running a race and they were like, <laughs> like, just like screaming. They're like, you got it. And I was like, this is so cool. Um, yeah. Mm, that is really special. Yeah. Um, so you said that you kind of found your confidence going to New Zealand. Was that in part due to running and the running community there? Or was that due to something else? I think uh, kind of a lot of, I think a few different like main factors, but I think um, like uh, in terms of like my, uh, like, I think cause like my running and like my trends and my queer identity kind of, I don't know, go hand in hand. Of course they do. But um, like, I think for me, um, I was at a point where I finally had the language to like articulate like who I was and like the access to like the care I needed to like be the person I wanted to be, which kind of coincided with also that kind of confidence boost kind of pushed me to connect with other runners. Cause before I was very solo, um, like I had invites in high school to join the track team, but I was like, I don't feel like I want to be on the girls track team or the boys track team. And I kind of was just always a bit lost and I kind of always placed that on myself, but like, I kind of, I carried that with me until I had the access to like that language and the care I needed. And when I had that, I finally felt like I could run with other people and be like, this is who I am. And like, I I know what I can contribute and I know like who I want to be. And it, um, not just in my running, but also in myself. Um, and for really fortunately, I found a really great group of like, I found a running group and it was just really awesome people. Um, I had friends in New Zealand who ran as well that I would run with outside of the running group. And everyone was just like, Lee, like you got this, like 
enter some more races, like you, you're going to be okay. Like, um, I think you have a chance at this, um, or just like using the right pronouns and just trying to learn more, which was all really, I don't know, confidence boosting performance enhancing. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah, totally. It's interesting how interconnected they are, you know, your identity outside of running and then how that translates to being as a runner. Um, did you find that you're running, took a different trajectory as well in terms of performance. You just said performance enhancing, but did you find that as you became more comfortable with yourself, your running improved too? Yeah, for sure. I think, um, I think I just, um, for a while, like kind of like for most of my running life, I kind of used running as more of a space to like, not not avoid things but just take time to really process things and like feel more embodied in myself and like in my thoughts and like I think when yeah I had come into my identity a bit more like um I finally saw running as like wow, this is who I am and this is who I could be, like not only in life, but also in my running. I can't really describe kind of the the relationship with that. Um, It's kind of like, if you don't know who you are, like how can you believe in yourself? Like it's it's a really hard thing to do. Um, But I think, yeah, just also, I think at that time there was more, I can remember like trying to find like going online and like trying to find other trans just like athletes just trying to like be out there and do things um and I think that gave me a boost to be like you know what you could actually really put some time and effort into this um and I think also I had the energy finally to kind of dedicate to that instead of just being anxious and like sad all the time about my gender identity in the world I finally had energy to like put into something a little bit more productive with my running um yeah Yeah. Did you find that the community was welcoming to you when you first came in and how you identified, or was that something that you didn't come out with right away? We talked to Riley Brady and they discussed, you know, how they didn't want to associate with their identity right away to the running community. And I wonder if it's the same, same for you. It's tricky because I feel like a lot of this happens so long ago for me, like going back to what I said about like being in high school, like I don't think anyone was being intentionally welcoming or unwelcoming when they were like, join the track team and here are your two options. Or like, I don't, I don't think anyone was being intentionally like anything when I would see like, I tried to do local races, like just short local races, but I mean, it, it felt so terrible to go into a race. And like, at that time I was still identifying as female and it didn't really it it felt bad just like always. And like to run in that and to see my results in that category just felt so depressing and terrible that I'm like, I don't want to keep doing this. Um, I don't see myself in this, but at the same time, I didn't see myself in like, like a male category either. Um, most of that was in terms of fear. Like I didn't want to upset cis men who were like, taking this super seriously. And like, I mean, I'm not out there being like, I mean, I could have, and maybe I regret doing that, but being like, I'm a trans masculine runner. Um, and I'm running in the male category. I could have done that, but I didn't. And I think that speaks to the fact that, yeah, I was just worried. I didn't want people trying to deny me or like be physical on like the trail with me. I didn't like, I've had, yeah, 
And I've just been through like other like weird things, well, not weird, but just like things where just like in runs, like just on training runs around, I've I've had people like shout really awful things at me from cars, um, like really like homophobic things from cars. I've had someone like throw beer cans at me from a car before. Um, like these are the things that are not necessarily like, wow, running is awesome. And I want to see how far I can go. And the community is really welcoming. But I think fortunately, like I said before, I came to a place where I was just kind of like, I have so much of a a wonderful community outside of running who really supports me and loves me that if I do try to connect with people in the running community, it does not go well. Like just being out there and open about my trans identity, like that's okay. I still have all of these wonderful people who really support me. And that was a chance I had to take. Um, Unfortunately, it worked out because I found some really great people who support me in the running community. So, um, yeah. Community is so key. Did you find that community was necessary for you to feel comfortable coming out as trans masculine person? And when did you feel comfortable doing that in terms of like a timeline? That's a really beautiful question. Um, yeah, I think community was essential in terms of coming out or just kind of evolving into myself, maybe. Um I think the more people I was surrounded, I I really, I mean, full disclosure, I this just sounds kind of sad, but I've never run with another trans person before. I don't, I've never been on the run with a non-binary person before. Um, so most of my queer community doesn't really know anything about running. Um, so that kind of makes things sort of complicated sometimes, but to go back to it, I feel like the friends that I was able to find in like the queer and trans communities that I'm a part of, um, were just like super encouraging, but also so full of knowledge and just like joy. Like they were so happy to be like, this is what being trans masculine means. And this is where you can get this care. Like this doctor sucks or like this doctor's great. Um, and like, that was super helpful. Um, and like, they try to get running stuff, but they, they're trying and they're great for that. Um, but um, yeah, it's, it's, it's critical. And I think like, I don't think you can ever, un- I mean, no matter if you're trans or cisgender or non-binary, whatever, whatever, like you identify in terms of gender, like, or just in life, I think it's really hard to understand yourself without being with other people. Um, mm-hmm. I think that's kind of a part of a human condition is like, you don't really understand yourself until you surround yourself with other people, um, especially, and hopefully they are people who really care about you. Yeah. Absolutely. Yeah. Can then I how ask a oh, question about yeah. I'm I'm yeah. curious about I mean yeah, I can relate so much is like confidence I think goes with a huge a huge way of just like encouraging your own expression of self-identity and just it, it's like a a snowball like that gets out of control I think. Um and I just I hear that in your story. I'm also curious about and maybe if you haven't spent as much time here in the U S but do you yeah. notice a palpable difference in like the community and like your acceptance uh, in, in your journey of like, you know, coming out and being more honest about like who you are as a person um, versus here in the United States. And I know that might be so tough to answer just because the micro community is in the United States and it's so huge, but um, yeah, I'm just, I'm curious if you, if you notice a difference. Um, 
Yeah, I can, I mean, just taking my small like corners of the earth that I know well and have lived in. Um, I think the the biggest difference I can kind of see and feel between stateside and New Zealand in terms of like confidence and acceptance and support is, I mean, I lived here permanently until I was 19. And most of that time until I went to college, um, I live in a smaller town. Um, it was like, like I'm 28. So like 2000 and 2000 to like 2012, those 12 years were spent in schools where I didn't know anybody who was queer. Like the people around me didn't talk about being trans, but I also think that was a sign of the, like, that was just where the world was at that point. Um, and I did feel, I did find an incredible community. I, um, when I was in college, I went to Hampshire college, um, in Amherst, Massachusetts, like Western Massachusetts, like the hotbed of like queer and transness. Um, and that was like incredible and very uplifting and supportive. And I think it finally gave me a little bit of, um, like the people I met and kind of gave me the, the real foundation to, to, to be like, oh, I have questions about my gender. Like it was just really that at that time. And like, um, there are things out there I can access or like people I can talk to or like connect with, um, to help me understand that. Um, and yeah, in New Zealand, I think kind of going back to the community thing, I think just by the fact of it being smaller, I think it's a little bit easier. And mm -hmm. I moved to a more urban, I moved to a city, Auckland's the biggest city I've ever lived in. So to me, it felt like I was living in New York city. Cause I was just like, wow, there's like centers where like queer and trans people go to. And like, like I could, there's like rainbow flags, like hanging everywhere. And I don't, I don't know necessarily know if it's New Zealand or more of just kind of like the environment I'm in. Um, I would say though, as a whole, I feel like New Zealand I just, I have, I, I don't, I haven't tested this hypothesis really, but I feel like New Zealand, the people I've met in New Zealand, queer and trans people just see, uh, like see each other like a little bit more holistically. And I don't, I can't really tell you the essence of what that is and how that works, but that's just, yeah, how I feel. No, I, I feel you 100%. I've, I mean, I've lived in Europe and I, I spent a lot of time in Spain and France and um, it felt that the same thing when I moved home. Like I felt uh, just completely lost with how like big things are. And Boulder's not a big city. Fort Collins where I grew up is not a big city, but like everything can feel so insular and like just isolated. And I just felt like the life was outside on the streets. And like, even in a big city like Sevilla, it was like, it was felt huge to me, but it just felt so much more honest so maybe it's maybe it's that way in New Zealand I've actually never been so I don't know but yeah Come. um <laughs> yeah I, I just I don't know I don't know if that's just like expat eyes like I don't know what that is but I do have to say that I think the U.S. is so I feel like sometimes I look around when I'm in the U.S. and U.S. and people just don't seem to be like breathing or like taking a moment to just pause. And I yeah. feel that. And I'm like, <laughs> when I'm in Auckland, like if you show up five minutes early, like in New Zealand, if you show up five minutes early for something, people are like, why are you wasting five minutes of your precious life? Like, that's what it feels like sometimes. And it's just like, 
everything mm-hmm. closes at five o'clock. Like mm-hmm. everything opens at like nine or 10. Like there is for something to be open at 9 PM, it would be like one day a week and it'd probably be like close to Christmas. Um, but yeah, it's yeah, a totally I, different world. I yeah. totally understand. Yeah. <laughs> so the three of us also live in these like very unique bubbles of the U S like Boulder, Seattle, Portland, like where I feel like our representation of the U S is not the broad strokes, um, U S experience. I grew up in a very small conservative, conservative town in Northwestern Wisconsin. So oh. I feel, I feel all of this. Um, yes. but I wanted to kind of ask, kind of go back in time for a second here. And you talked a lot about high school and then college and mm. discovering vocabulary and discovering people and the questions that you wanted and needed to ask. And I'm just wondering if you can walk us through the timeline, that experience of like this, I don't know, it, it seems like a big trip of like self identity and acceptance. And I'm just wondering what that was like for you kind of walking through high school, you to college, you to all of a sudden, you know, moving to New Zealand, you, as you developed a language to talk about yourself with. I, my parent, like I grew up being such a tomboy. I don't think I wore like girls clothes very much in my life. My parents always like endorsed like very stereotypical society might consider more masculine things. My dad like took me hunting and like fly fishing and like hiking and like was like my parents encouraged me to like play all the sports. Um, and just like always be outside and that I didn't have a problem with that until I started towards that, that didn't feel like a problem until the end of middle school and coming into high school. At that point, I felt like my world absolutely crumbled. Like I feel like high school had so many, like it felt like I was trying to live according to a narrative that like I was never cut out to be in. Like someone just like copy and pasted me into a storybook that I was like, I don't even know what my point is of like being here. Like, how do I do like female? I don't know. And that was such an out-of-body experience for me. Like high school, I don't really remember a lot of parts of high school. And I think a lot of that was just because I probably didn't really associate like with myself very much because I was so lost in figuring out what who I was and like finding people who could see like little glimpses of me um behind like a really great performance like gender is absolutely a performance and like high school like my high school experience is like a perfect example of that um and I yeah I tried so hard um but yeah, I just kind of, I tapped out in terms kind of socially and I just kind of focused on academics, which felt like the best use of my time. Um, and yeah, I, towards the end of high school, I started connecting with some friends who were just a little bit more like political and progressive. I think maybe just being seniors in high school, maybe we just had, we were talking about these things more. Um, and I had a teacher who was like, like, we would talk after class about like politics and like more of like philosophical stuff. And I was, he was just like, you like, please like go to like a liberal arts school, like move far, far away and go to a liberal arts school. I didn't move far, far away, but I did go to Hampshire college, which I think I gravitated towards because, um, yes, I, I think Hampshire at the time had the highest population of out trans students. And I think that was really 
um, magnetic for me. And in college, I did a lot of work around like studied social justice. I thought I was going to go into outdoor education for like a good two years. Um, but I did at that point, it really didn't feel like, um, a future for me in terms of my gender and my, my queerness. So I, I kind of stepped out of that and focused more on like working with youth. But throughout that time, I think just hearing, reading a lot more like academic pieces about gender and sexuality was like really helpful for me because it didn't feel like my problem. It felt like a society problem. And that was like really helpful. And I had a really great therapist and I had really great friends. And that was just like the perfect kind of trifecta for me to like, be like, wow, I am not cisgender. I am something different and that's okay. And also during that time, I met my partner and she's was like incredibly supportive and like still is incredibly supportive and like just saw probably the most, the truest me. And I think that gave me the confidence to be like, okay, this is real. Like I can be who I want to be in the world. Um, and then moving to New Zealand, I guess the best thing I can really describe it, it's like, you probably you you probably could all relate living in different places but I think when you move somewhere you don't have a history to kind of ground you and sometimes that's really great because you can kind of not reinvent yourself but just maybe push boundaries a little bit like your own kind of boundaries are just like a little bit like safely um and explore a little bit more who you are and like the type of people you want to relate to. Um, and I think, yeah, that move was super helpful for that. Yeah. And Lee, I, I think that you've really helped others in the community since your own journey by, you know, working with rainbow youth and Patha. And so would you mind discussing, you know, your work with that, those groups and kind of what you're doing now? Yeah. So when I moved to New Zealand, um, I immediately wanted to, to kind of explore this whole world of like supporting other people. Cause I had just so much support myself and I'm like, what a privilege, like to be at this place where I can give back like this. So it started kind of as a, a placement for my undergrad, but it, it developed into a job with Rainbow Youth. At Rainbow Youth, I was, um, a transgender peer support worker, um, which was, um, pretty incredible. It was the first time the government had, um, slotted money specifically for transgender peer support. Um, and my job was to work one-on-one -on -one with young people under the age of 27. Um, and sometimes their parents or whoever they kind of invited in as their family, um, to explore gender, to give them resources, to kind of be that person of like, no, I haven't been exactly through your experience, but like I can at least identify with some of these feelings that you might be having or like know kind of where to go with that more nuanced knowledge of also being a trans person. Um, and then from there, I managed the support team at Rainbow Youth. So I managed the Auckland support team. So um, the provision of those types of support services. Um, and alongside of that, I... Um, work with PASA, PATHA, which is the Professional Association for Transgender Health, Aotearoa. Um, and PATHA's job, it sits really uniquely in this position where it's made up of like 
of trans, queer, non-binary folks, and like cisgender people as well. But we're all professionals who are really dedicated to trying to better gender-affirming healthcare in Aotearoa, New Zealand. Um, and we do that through like upskilling, trying to upskill GPs, um, trying to advocate for policy changes within the government, um, also advocating for international policy, um, and also being a place where we can just connect um, and like share resources and information. Um, and my job there was being the sat on the executive board, being secretary. Um, which was such a cool opportunity. But yeah, right now I just finished up a job working on, uh, we call it Rainbow in New Zealand, Rainbow Homelessness Resources. So um, I got contracted to help create some resources um, around how to make homeless um, housing services better for homeless rainbow people. Um, and I'm in this kind of transition period where I'm now about to start my master's in counseling um, in about eight weeks. So. Um, yeah, just kind of tying things up. But yeah, super excited to start my counseling degree. Um, just so cool. really want to, yeah, continue on that journey. <laughs> of That's people. really cool. Yeah. So yeah, because like I read the, I, I read the, obviously the, um, the Trowan article that you wrote um, yeah. about like the, you know, talking about well fairness and like all of, all of these things in sport and reading the, like some of this, the, like particularly like a study about how, I think it, it, and I forget if it's non-binary and transgendered people, if they they experience, I think it was both of those in that same um, yeah. research study that they experienced more problems. And like, it was, it, it was insane, like 80% or something of like, maybe even more than that of just mental health. Um, it was a very broad category, obviously, um, from, I think it's like, like mood disorders, like from depression all the way to like self-harm. Um, is very like it was startling right and um I mean I think you spoke about resources for people and for you in particular like how like how do trans people or non-binary people get like health care that they need um I mean do you think that that falls into the same category is this almost why you're getting into counseling as well yeah absolutely um the what you're saying, Hillary, is all so interconnected. And yeah. it's, I can't tell you how much trans and non-binary people are repeatedly let down by the systems as they are, whether that's healthcare, whether that's education, whether that's work, jobs, whether that's, I mean, whatever it is, just let down. And it is, there are facets and people who are making it better. Um, I have to acknowledge that it's getting better, but um, time and time again, I, not just me, but like so many, all of the people I work alongside of, like other professionals, we get into the situation where a young person will come to us. And I mean, this is like such a normal story. Like this is like, almost every young person will have a very similar story. And if they don't like incredible, beautiful, I love your life. Um, but I, it's always like, I went to a professional and they had like a mental health professional or my doctor or my school counselor, and they had no idea what to do with me. Like I said, I was trans and I was non-binary and they were 
it can be, it can go from something as kind of like innocuous as just kind of like, oh, like, oh, we had a feeling or like, oh, like that sounds hard and kind of acknowledging it, but not really acknowledging it or like being like, you can't tell anybody about like, not you can't tell anybody about it, but just like be careful or like be careful who you tell, be careful how you like look at school, like don't attract bullying or it can be like, um, just having no idea. Like I've had, I've had mental health professionals call me and be like, what do I do when someone's trans and they want to start hormones or get gender affirming surgery or just like meet other trans people? And I feel like this is just really basic at this point. And like, like one in 10, like Gen Z's are like identifying as trans, queer, non-binary. It's like, this is not a something that's going away. It's, it's only increasing. And if you're a mental health professional or like a health professional, this is something you need to know because when professionals don't have the resources and knowledge about this. If you're already suffering from depression, anxiety, gender dysphoria, like all of these things, those mental health things that you mentioned before, Hillary, like that's only going to be compounded when an adult who you're supposed to trust and put confidence in is like, "Eh, I don't know how to help you. Mm -hmm. Like how, like that's so. It's victim blaming. Like at the most like basic level, it's like you're blaming the the victim there for you know, avoid bullying. Okay, cool, cool. Oh, you're depressed. Well, that sounds hard. like yeah. it. Just Keely wrote a note in our in our shared Google Doc that just says that the that it seems like the system is reinforcing that you like that you're other or not accepted or not acceptable, and that's that's uh, so many of us. I mean, Keely, Hillary, and I sitting here like we've had very little of that in our lives, and so it's I think it's really hard for a lot of people and people listening to this even to like fully understand that and like really put ourselves themselves in like the shoes of someone who is experiencing it. Yeah. I think it is kind of, it is a hard thing to relay. Like when your identities or identity is a marginalized one, it's really hard to articulate just how all-encompassing or just like oppressive and just like just not very welcoming society can be sometimes and it's it's not even things that I mean you there just can be like little things like today like I had to go to the bank and like I had to give them an old like I had to give them an ID that like doesn't match how I look or like how I identify anymore. And like, that wouldn't be someone's experience, but like, and I mean, to take this to running, like I'm scared. I'm so scared every time I like have to register for something like great. We have more categories, like we can get that later, but like that still does not take away from the issue of me having to go up to someone and present an ID that does not like evidence who I am accurately like this doesn't reflect who I am and there's so much anxiety and fear in that like I there's times when I just don't want to do something sometimes and avoid them um even though I'm like a very type a person and like want to do things I'm just like I just can't do it because I just don't have the spoons to really (laughs) to really go into the bank and like have to like explain myself (laughs) Mm -hmm. 
Yeah. And again, we, we don't have that common experience, so it's very hard for us to conceptualize. Um, but you kind of just transitioned for us. So let's go into running a little bit more. Thank you for that lovely transition. Um, <laughs> wait, hold on. I'm just going to pause you. I'm just going to turn on the other light because it gets dark at four o'clock. Crazy. Oh, <laughs> it gets dark at like nine o'clock in New Zealand. And I was so sad. Oh, coming gosh. oh that yeah. Sounds dreamy. I, I just came. Well, yeah. From the Southern hemisphere in um, South Africa. And oh my gosh, it was so hard to come back here. <laughs> yeah. I mean, back to winter was brutal. Yeah, it's oh. been real brutal. That's why I just was in Southern Cal. Um, Okay, so so obviously we first heard of you from your article on Trail Runner Meg, yeah. um, where you kind of talked about the intersection of the LGBTQAI plus community and trans rights in the trail and ultra running space. Yeah. And so we'd love for you to just give the audience a little bit of a background as to, you know, what prompted that article. Mm. Yeah, so... What prompted that article, um, I actually have a very vivid memory of like me getting like real amped up about it. Um, I was at work and this was when I was working at Rainbow Youth and Rainbow Youth, it's um, for and by LGBTQ people. So all of my my friends and my coworkers um, who were I was talking to also were trans and non-binary folks and um, it was kind of at the time where there was this period of time, like kind of just be like when the Olympics were kind of like coming to the news and like, this was, it was just like a magnifying glass on this. And like, everyone was talking about trans athletes and we were just talking about the fear that so many cisgender people have about trans athletes participating and the the argument of like, that's not fair, specifically really talking about trans women, but this also happens to non-binary and trans masculine and trans men as well. Um, and we were just kind of scratching our heads because we were like, if only people knew just how hard it is to like literally even get to the point of like wanting to run as like a trans or non-binary person, like we are forgetting the entire like point up to that race that was incredibly difficult like for someone to be able to like afford running shoes to have like the mental wellness to even be like I can move my body today to like have access to gender affirming care so they do feel like they have a body that they want to live in like all of these things have to happen and I was just like I'm like I have so many thoughts about this I need to like write it um and yeah, I got in touch with Zoe about it. And Zoe's like, yeah, absolutely. And I think, cause I just feel like that was such, it's such an, an integral part of the conversation that so often gets left out. Like we always focus on like the event, like, or like the race or like the, the act of running itself, but like, let's all, let's not forget about all of the work it takes to get to that point. Um, and all the work that it takes to sustain yourself after that race. And I think that's, that's really kind of what motivated me to, to write that, to kind of explore, like, when we talk about fairness, what are we actually talking about? And like, who is it fair for? Um, because I say this in the article, but like, this is kind of how I lead a lot of the work I do. But it's like, if fairness is privileging like someone who already has a lot of privilege, then that's not fairness. That's not equity. Um, that's just giving reassigning and like 
reestablishing power to people who already have it. Um, if we're going to really talk about equity and running, we should be doing everything in our power to make sure that trans and non-binary people can race, can race safely, can race holistically, like bring their whole selves to the situation. Um, yeah, so that's kind of was the impetus for that writing. Yeah, we really liked how you decided to redefine fairness for the audience, um, for this community. And some of the issues you talked about, I think, are really pertinent to athletes. Um, so would you mind talking us through some of those athletes, sorry, those issues that athletes face, <clears throat> like gender dysphoria and access to healthcare in, in relation to athletes and how that is pertaining to them? Yeah. Um, yeah, there's a lot of things that I think fortunately and unfortunately for trans athletes running is a a very like impact sport and like you your body takes a beating and like you really have to like understand your body and be in your body to run well and to run healthfully um and i <clears throat> in terms of like how like gender dysphoria and like healthcare kind of wrap into that um it's, we can kind of take this in two ways, but like, um, a lot of trans and non-binary people might decide to access some type of like medical transitioning or like, or just even social transitioning. And, um, that can be sometimes really impossible, especially for medical transitioning, because it can cost a lot of money. It can be super hard to find and all of that stuff will help their mental health. Um, but if they don't have access to those things, like, um, I can talk from my experience, like before those things, I didn't feel like I ran with a body or like had a body in the world. It was kind of like this amorphous type of thing that I kind of existed in, unfortunately. Um, but with the tools I can now, I feel like I run with a body now. And I think that's helped my performance going back to what you were talking about earlier. Um, and in terms of like mental wellness, like, I think it's really important that we like normalize mental health, like struggles and like be able to talk about those things. But like, if we continue to go back to like trans and non-binary people are suffering from so much worse, like mental health outcomes and they're continuing this, despite the fact that we know like gender affirming healthcare access helps or like helping people change their like names and gender legally and all of like supporting them. Like, um, if, if we don't do those things, um, then like how, how can you even feel like you can be in a place where you can get out the door? It's like the hierarchy of needs. If you can't even access the, your medical care safely from a competent professional, if you can't feel like you have a, like you're healthy in your body, mentally and physically, running's completely out of the picture. Um, and I think the other part of this that you can kind of take it in is like finding professionals within running. So like body professionals, coaches um, who understand this as being like integral to your running, like a, like you, your identity is important in your running. Um, and how hard it is to find professionals who can talk about these things safely and not just safely, but also like encouragingly and like 
like in a celebrative way and not so much like a hurdle that you have to like overcome, but something that you can embrace. Um, I know for me, it took a, it took a long time to find that. Um, and from what I hear from other runners, it's uh, similar to other trans people, I should say. Um, yeah, it's tricky. Yeah. And so I think kind of just like circling, I feel like we're circling the wagons on the same question a little bit here, but the yeah. idea of like the the work that you do, the writing that you've done, the social justice work that you do in your, in your day job, yeah. I'm wondering how it seems like there's no separation between that and what, like how it broadly translates to the sporting world. But I'm wondering if you like how, how you see those two things being interconnected. I think social justice for me when it comes down to it or like how I think about it is just creating opportunities where people, especially people who have consistently been marginalized and in terms of my work, that's going to be LGBTQ communities. They can show up holistically and they can feel safe and they can feel seen um, in what they do. And so they can show up as them their best self and I think that's the same with with running and that's how I see running like in order to run as your best self you need to be able to show up as your whole self like safely you need to have access to that safety um that support and if you don't have it then you're not going to reach your your potential whether that's just like being happy or like that's just a performance goal like I see them as kind of this as as the same thing and it's and the other side of this is like we have to can we always have to remind ourselves that sport in in my mind is a system it's just as much of a system as it is health as healthcare is as education is there is unwritten rules there's powers assigned to people depending on who they are what they do like it's we operate by very similar rules that Western society operates by Um, capitalism. We see it all the time in running. Like we, all of these things happen in running. Running is, is part of this system, whether, and we can use that to our advantage or we can use that to like, or continue to let the ills of society like infiltrate running and hurt people like it does outside of sport. Um, So for me, like, of course, I want to address social justice in running because running is part of sport and sport is op- like operates in the world by similar systems that just aren't fair. I think that might be kind of a good jumping point to kind of talk a little bit about races and specifically, you know, one that you highlight in the article is the Western States Endurance Run. And they've been, I think, working pretty hard to, to try to get it right. But as with any system, we're going to get it wrong, I think, a lot more and a lot more frequently than we get it right to get off the ground. This year, they changed some of the wording to include um, non-binary registration um, to, tr- to try to, I think, amend part of that system. But I'm wondering, you know, when you see races kind of put forward policies um, of this nature, kind of, you know, like what immediately pops to mind for you and then how, like how in my mind is that an additional barrier for, for individuals who might want to do this race at some point in time? Yeah. Great question. And I think Western States, including this wording around non-binary athletes, like incredible, like they're taking the hint from like wider discourse happening around, around this. And there's more and more about this, like actual productive conversation, but 
when I see policies come forth like this, um, my first question is always, who did you consult in this process? Um, and how did that consultation happen? Like, if if you were only consulting with cis people, then you're going to get policies that will that are biased. Unfortunately, that's just how the world is and how opinions work. Or and will probably benefit whether explicitly or implicitly cis people. Um, and not only that, but then I'm like. It would be really great if like they could list that, like at least some names on who they consulted, like that would be cool. Um, but I have, I haven't seen that, um, which is really important. Um, and I think this, the other thing that is a couple other things, but something else that usually jumps out at me is the wording of things still centralizes fairness in terms of like, how do we make this fair for cisgender runners? The question needs to be, how do we make this fair for trans runners? And I know, and like, people can be like, it's just the wording, but it's not just the wording because the way the policies are written, like, let's just take Western states. It's still full of different steps in order to evidence someone, if someone is trans and all of these steps, which are so arbitrary and like, don't is actually not what being trans or non-binary means in order to like be like you must be on this much you must be taking hormones for this long or like you have to identify in this category like um that's and I think the other one the real dangerous thing is consistently leaving if you like make like a top spot people have the ability to challenge or request evidence about your your gender identity and that is so harmful and in my mind that's like that's it's just again going back to society sports is part of society and sometimes ills of society like we see this when people like try to stop trans or non-binary people from using the bathroom and are like prove that you're a woman or prove that you're a man and like Trans people are not out here trying to trick cisgender people. And I can assure you that a runner trying to race is not trying to trick cis people or trying to pull the wool over their eyes in order to like podium. It's it's just not gonna happen. Um being trans is being trans and you and non-binary is gorgeous and beautiful and fun, but it's also really hard. And I don't know if people would really elect to have this life in the in the world that we live in right now. Oh, I mean, I sent a text to Keely and Hillary and said that, you know, like I I try when I think about this to to at my best ability put my like put my viewpoint from someone who might be looking at this policy who is who is trans and not like knowing that that's not my personal life, like I feel very fortunate because I know how difficult or I, I can I can begin to see how difficult. I don't know. It's not yeah. my experience. But it's like, I think of these policies and they've been discussed more broadly in like track and field and professional rugby and, and women's basketball, et cetera. Um, and it seems like these policies at the end of the day come down to me to like policing bodies. And it's yes. like in the track and field world in particular, that means policing black bodies as well, more than anything. And so it's just, I think that they're written with good intentions, but are are still falling short of like, what is maybe best for the the whole community in order to participate and and run, which should be like a freeing experience. 
Absolutely. I think, I mean, you're absolutely right. It's, it's going to be about policing and I just, yeah, I, I think it's like, it's yeah. Like racism is a part of this. Colonization is a part of this. Like we just consistently put up barriers in order for people to succeed in order to keep power where it always has been and where a lot of people will want it to continue to be, which is white cisgender men um, who have like dictated much of society for much of history. Um, yeah, it's, it's, it's definitely about like body policing. And I, I think that the other part of that though, is like, if we can understand that it's about body policing, we also have to acknowledge that like we're all suffering from this. It's not just trans people. It's not just people of color. Like we, it's all of us together. And when we pit ourselves against each other, like I see this with cis women and trans women in this, like in this argument, it's like, oh, but trans women are gonna take opportunities away from cisgender women the that fear is valid for that person i can understand the anxiety of that because cis women have also suffered at the hands of white male patriarchal society and it's like yeah of course we're going to be fighting for scraps because we have fought for scraps for so long and i I can understand why people might get defensive and want to retain that but we can't we can't all be like none of us can be great unless we all have a chance at that. Like, I don't think cis women have fully realized their their incredible like athletic potential. Like they are and they're kicking ass and I love watching female athletes, but I still feel like if we can address other things like transphobia and sport, racism and sport, the impacts of colonization and how that impacts running and trail running specifically, like, we will all be better runners because of that. Yeah, I love that. I think I've been saying that for years of like, we think that a lot of women have even reached their potential. And I, I argue that they haven't. And, and which all is, athletes haven't. Yeah, which is crazy, which is awesome which is for the future. Beautiful, sport. that's amazing. Yeah. <laughs> exactly. But I kind of wanted to get your opinion around if you've seen any initiative or organization do this well in terms of implementing policies around trans or non-binary athletes? Super timely question. Um, We've been waiting for about a year and a half, maybe even two years. I don't know. COVID is such a blur in terms of timeline. But um, Sport New Zealand um, just released guidelines um, for trans inclusion in sport. And they consulted with a lot of people, um, rainbow organizations and other sport organizations on how to, to write these policies. And I have to say they did a really good job. Um, and I don't usually, I, I mean, I look over things very critically and I thought they did a really gorgeous job. Um, and I would highly encourage people stateside to have a look. Um, I think it's a bit of, um, a rare case really at the moment when so much of sport bodies are trying to do the opposite and trying to limit trans participation, this 
I think really sets a really stellar example of what it could be. Sport New Zealand seems to be being ahead of the curve on a lot of things. (laughs) (laughs) I feel like they always come out with really cool things around female health and female athlete health as well. And they're always kind of ahead of the curve, you know? So that's really cool. We'll, we'll definitely like look into that and, and link that in the show notes for our listeners to look into as well. What does running look like for you in the future? Do you have any exciting running goals for 2023 and beyond? Yeah, like super unfortunately, I've been dealing with quite a bit of injury in the past like year. Um, Just like weird, weird stuff, Um, which is frustrating. But I finally feel like I'm getting back to more consistently consistency in the past few months. And um, I think that the time as much as it sucked in terms of like running, not being able to run as much as I want, um, I think it's given me a lot of opportunity to reflect on what I want. And I think I used to be like, I want to win all the races and like be the best. And now I'm just like, actually, I just want to like connect with like more trans and queer people in the running world. I want to continue talking about these things. I want to be able to run consistently and healthfully enough where I can like meet up with friends on the weekend and go for long runs in the forest and like just have fun. Um, but yeah, I'd love competition too. So I'd love, I'd still love to win some races. Um, but yeah, hopefully, um, if anyone in New Zealand's listening in the racing world, um, it'd be really cool to like see some trans inclusion policies in any races. Cause not of, I haven't seen one race in New Zealand with any trans inclusion policies or non-binary categories. So, um, that'd be really cool to be able to run a race as a non-binary person and be acknowledged as that in New Zealand. That'd be a really cool 2023, um, experience. Um, but yeah, we'll see what happens. Yeah. They might take note off of sport New Zealand and start implementing some policies. That would be awesome. Hopefully. I feel like we've really <laughs> given them the dots. They just need to connect. Them. Exactly. <laughs> yeah. And do you, and I guess kind of on the same note, what do you, what do you see in your future in terms of like a life work uh, mission and, and what would have you feeling the most success at the end of the day? Um, I, I think it's just, I say this to like a lot of young people just I think I just want to continue to be in these support positions and like just reassure trans and non-binary young people, just any trans and non-binary young people that like you are so perfect and like you have so many strengths and like so much joy within you and it's the world around you that's letting you down. Um, and not seeing that. And that's not your fault. The problem isn't you. It's the world that we exist in. And I just want to continue to be able to like help people see that because it is tiring out here. It is, it can be exhausting, but also can be so much fun. And I just want trans and non-binary to have a life where they can have that fun and have that joy. Thank you for that, Lee. That was that was wonderful. I really love that mission. And I'm so excited to cheer you on as you keep advocating for all of these wonderful humans. I I really appreciate it. And like honestly, like even like just when you like you say my pronouns correctly, it was, I'm like, it's just so nice to be in spaces where people can just see you and like the fact that you're curious about this and like curious in an open way I think curiosity can be quite poisonous sometimes especially when we talk about trans inclusion in sport and like 
this was just so beautiful and it can show you what just like being curious with openness and like love can look like and I just I really feel that in this this conversation so thank you it, it, it it's very clear that you care um and want to do better um yourselves but like also want the running world to do better and yeah I really appreciate okay so that kind of concluded our I mean concluded for now I wouldn't say it's concluded it's going to go forever and ever and ever our diversity equity and inclusion kind of first four parts of interviews I'm wondering from both of you what were your expectations going into this interview with Lee and what are they now as we debrief from that conversation I mean, I was just, I think I really just wanted to learn as much as I, as I could um, be. And I think I just like learned so much, so much more. Um, I mean, I think it's, it's really hard because it can, it's like, I think a topic that's been going around um, like more recently. Right. I mean, it's not like it hasn't been around. I mean, from talking to Lee, right. Like it's, 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 it's certainly been a, like a part of their lives for, um, you know, for a very long time, forever. And, you know, even though now it's maybe more recently in, in the news, especially in ultra news for changing policies and being more inclusive. Um, and obviously why we wanted to do a diversity segment, but I think it's just, it's really hard to get a, to get a sense because it's not my personal experience. So it was really, um, I mean, I just, I don't, I mean, it was just really moving and, and like incredibly informative to be able to hear from their perspective and learn a little bit more about their story and kind of the realness of it, um, more so than, you know, just reading an article. Yeah. Well, it it humanizes the debate, right? All of a sudden you're relating to this individual, this person, this person's real life experience. And I think it, it it doesn't put you in their shoes because I think that's impossible with experiences that are so far outside what you might experience in your day day to day. But I think it, it puts a human voice to the debate and conversation that, you know, like spins around the internet every single day. Mm -hmm. I think that that is really, really important. Mm -hmm. Yeah. And I think that they talked a lot about personal experience and how, difficult it was for them initially in their journey before they found a community that allowed them to feel safe. And I love that they've now transformed their life to be that for other people and to provide, you know, safe places for other trans persons and non-binary individuals to feel safe and to be able to be their true self. And I think at one point they said that they want people to know how amazing they are and how fun it is to be trans instead of living in fear. And and I absolutely loved that because everyone deserves the chance to feel amazing and to have so much fun in their lives. And so I just thought that perspective was really awesome. And I definitely was expecting the conversation to be more directed towards running because that article was very, you know, sports specific, but they have a wealth of knowledge around the journey as a trans person, as well as how to, you know, increase equity in all realms of the world for this community. And so I was just taken aback by the whole conversation. Yeah. We hope that you enjoyed the conversation as much as we did. Um, I think it's at the groundwork for many more conversations to come in this space. So I want to thank Lee again. They gave us a lot of their time today to talk to us. So, um, 
yeah, here's, here's to more of that in 2023. Before we close out, we have to do, as always, Society Slam. And this time it's brought to us by you all. And by you all, I mean, we really need hope, want that you can like, subscribe, follow. I feel like I'm pointing on a YouTube video or it's like subscribe below, but, but really it, it means a lot to the podcast. If you can go on to, to wherever you listen to this, be it Apple or Spotify and, and subscribe and leave and leave a review for people because it helps individuals, helps folks out there find this podcast. So share it with your friends, like, follow, download, subscribe, leave a review, all those things. And for now, who's got a society slam that they want to share? Hillary, you look like you're ready to go. <laughs> um, I don't really have one. It's like just <gasps> it's more, it's more just Blasphemy. general. Well, I say <laughs> no, I say I don't really have one like um like a name. I mean, like from she's just gonna, she's gonna read like a quote directly from someone in a DM. No, I'm not, I don't have any of that. I just have a just a very sweet one um from the trail. Um this woman and her partner like I see them all the time on Sunita's this like local mountain and um I like all the time when I'm running there like they're always hiking and um finally like I always say hi but I did like didn't know their names and then finally I don't know one time I'm like running I'm just running down about to head home and she yells she's like Hillary I love you and all the people in trail society. <laughs> it was just like the cutest things. So I like stopped and um, we finally got introduced. And then I just saw them at a coffee shop later today. So I think it, I think it's great. She's been, um, I think she, um, I think she forced her partner to listen to it, but now they are like listeners. I think she listened to us from the very first one. So yeah. <laughs> so Kimberly uh, and Chris, thank you. <laughs> love it. Yeah. Keely, what do you have? Oh, she's muted. She's coughing. She's muted. Sorry, I've been on mute because I cough. Um, <laughs> I have a two-parter. First part is that we want to thank everyone for their DMs about helping us with a social media page. Oh, yeah. And we will reach out to you in the next week or two after the new year um, mm-hmm. to schedule some calls because we are stoked to have people interested. So thank you for all of those DMs. Um, we are so mm-hmm. excited for the future. Um, and then my second one is that I was overwhelmed by how many people at the running event came up to me and said that they love the podcast as well, especially um, a couple people who were like in their young 20s and they said they were sharing it with fellow athletes on their collegiate running team. So I feel like that's the kind (laughs) of audience that I really love targeting because I think that's the narrative we can change, hopefully. Mm -hmm. Um, But yeah, keep sending us the love. We love it, obviously. Yeah. It makes us feel good about ourselves. And that's really what we're here for. We're seeking your adoration. Um, <laughs> you know, just the, the usual thing I need, I need outside, outside, uh, pats on the back. So mine is a call out for the listening audience and we just need some advice. It's kind of like the sports bra call out I did a while back where we kind of gathered that was like, I don't know, probably six months ago, um, kind of like different sports bar recommendations. So I had a listener write in about, um, period products and, you know, they recently had a child, um, because of having a child and breastfeeding, um, just recently got their period back and, you know, trying to figure out what, what are runners using? What are runners who compete in endurance events using, um, for their periods, you know, tampons, menstrual cups, um, you know, period underwear, the flex cup. So wondering what kind of products are worth investing in or experimenting with or trying if you have something that you like, um, in particular, 
And I think if you like it in the context too of, of it being comfortable to run with and run with for a, a, per- a long period of time, no pun intended, um, we'd love to hear from you on that. And then I will follow back up on the podcast on a future podcast episode with your recommendations, because I think this is super important and we should normalize that runners get periods and runners need period products. Oh man. I'm excited for this flood mm-hmm. of our inboxes too. Yeah. So DMs, hit us up in the DMs, find, find us out there on the world. You can also email me at Corinne at freetrail.com. Um, I'll take, I'll take your emails as DMs as well, but I think that's it for us. Welcome to 2023 y'all. We are so excited to be going into a new year with you. Um, bringing you hopefully some more interesting interviews as well as fun topics. And until next time, we'll see you out on the trail. Bye.